Well, thank you so very much, Mark. And hello, everybody. It is absolutely an honor and a privilege to be giving the Mother's Day message this morning. I just want to say happy Mother's Day myself from one mom to the next. And to all of you out there, thank you so much for joining us at West Meadows at Home. I've been keeping a five-line journal for quite a few years now, and one of my husband and I's favorite routines when it comes to bedtime is to looking back at the journal and seeing how we spent the day over the course of the years. So I thought it would be kind of interesting for me to look back and see how I have spent Mother's Day in the past. And I know that you have heard these words several times, but this year, for Mother's Day, it is unprecedented. This year for Mother's Day, we are going to be spending Mother's Day differently than we've probably spent it ever before. I used to be a restaurant manager before I had children, and I will tell you that Mother's Day was the busiest day of the year. We would make about 10 times the amount of revenue on Mother's Day than we did any other day of the year. And maybe for some of you, you're a little disappointed that you don't get to go to your favorite restaurant like you usually do on Mother's Day. Maybe this year it looks like takeout, or if the weather gets nice enough, dad barbecuing. But this year, is going to be different no matter what, right? For some of you, this is okay. Happy Mother's Day isn't normally happy anyways, or for some of you, you just don't like the big hurrah. For some of you, Mother's Day is actually something that produces some devastating feelings within you. Maybe you're somebody who's been longing to be a mom for a while. Maybe you're somebody who has been a mom and your child was taken from you too soon and Mother's Day just opens up this void. For some of you, you might be disappointed, devastated, discouraged, unhappy because you don't get to spend Mother's Day with your mom. Your mom's long gone and you have a void in your heart. For others of you, when you think of celebrating Mother's Day, you think of your mom, or you think of your mom-in-law, and you don't really have a very good rapport with them. Or maybe there's a strain between you and your children, which also makes Mother's Day difficult for you. Some of us are happy on Mother's Day. Some of us are angry. And sometimes that anger is absolutely justifiable. In 1980, in May, there was a young girl. Her name was Carrie. Carrie, just eight days before Mother's Day, was on a walk with a friend going to a church carnival. When all of a sudden, Carrie was hit from behind. She was hit with such a force that her body was actually projected 125 feet in the air. She flew right out of her shoes. She was hit by a man who had been out of jail for two days. This man was barreling down the road. He had been a three-time repeat offender and had served four DUIs, and here he was, drunk again. When he hit Carrie, he fled the scene, leaving Carrie dead. This was an absolute devastation for Carrie's mother, Candace. That year, Candace was not happy for Mother's Day. In fact, Candace was angry. She was very upset. In the same year, there was a lady named Cindy. Cindy and her daughter, Laura, just a baby, five months old, were on a drive when all of a sudden, 
with a head-on collision. They were devastatingly smashed by a man who also was a repeat offender, a drunk driver. This left Cindy with very serious injuries, and it left baby Laura, the five-month-old baby, as the nation's youngest quadriplegic. The anger, the despair that these women had, they would look at an empty seat that once held their children, and it would produce nothing but anger for them. They decided that they wanted to take a senseless act and make sense of it. They wanted to take their pain and produce something good out of it. And so these two women joined forces and they began a movement, a movement you're probably aware of. It's called Mothers Against Drunk Driving, or the acronym MAD. Today, we're going to divert from what we have been doing, and that is taking a look at the book of Philippians. Today, we're moving to a different book of the Bible, just for today, and that's Ephesians. Ephesians was also written by Paul. And Ephesians 4, verses 26 and 27, give us a really great understanding of anger and what we can do with this anger. In Ephesians 4, 26 to 27, it says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Very clearly, these verses acknowledge that we are going to have anger. It would not be natural for somebody like Candace or Cindy to not have anger when such a travesty had just really terrorized their family. Recognizing that we are all going to have anger. We need to know what to do with that anger. And these verses give this absolutely wonderful biblical response to anger. These verses, whether our anger is justified, funneled to birth an inspiring movement, or whether our anger is quite unsubstantiated, still give us great information and insight on how we can handle our anger. So I want to begin today's teaching by saying, first and foremost, it's okay to get angry. I think sometimes as Christians, we are under this opinion that we always have to have a smile plastered on our face, that if anything was to anger us, we need to very quickly just readjust and not hold that emotion whatsoever. But the Bible underscores that anger for the right reason and handled the right way is not sinful. When people or things that belong to God are being mistreated or when God is being disrespected, many people who have the heart of God will respond in anger. If I look at examples from the Bible, such as in Nehemiah, Nehemiah 5.6 says, when I heard their complaints, I was very angry. Nehemiah was upset because money lenders were taking advantage of people who needed to borrow money so that they could afford land. Moses also responded in anger. In Exodus 11.8, we read, then burning with anger, Moses left Pharaoh. 
Now here, Moses was angry with Pharaoh. Pharaoh had repeatedly gone back on his word and he was treating the Israelites very unfairly. If we skip ahead to the New Testament, we see Jesus himself respond in anger to some events. In Mark 3 verse 5, we read, he looked around at them in anger. Jesus had just finished healing somebody, and yet people responded with no compassion, no understanding. In fact, they said mean and nasty things about Jesus because he worked on Sabbath instead of glorifying him for healing somebody. And then later in Mark, chapter 10, verse 14, it says, when Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. These are his friends, but he was angry with them because his friends, the disciples, were keeping the children from coming to Jesus. When Jesus came, Jesus came for men, Jesus came for women, Jesus came for children, and he wanted the opportunity to be with them, to embrace them, to chat with them, to teach them, and the disciples were keeping him from that opportunity. Healthy anger allows people to invest their emotional energy in confronting evil, in righting wrongs, and in changing bad to good. The energy of anger can actually be very wisely invested. It can be used to provide greater focus. It can provide intensity and productivity. Did you know that anger is what was attributed to spur men and women on to actually abolish slavery? Have you heard of Martin Luther? He was the catalyst of the 16th century Protestant Reformation. And he's quoted to say, When I am angry, I can write, pray, and preach well. For then my whole temperament is quickened, my understanding is sharpened, and temptations are gone. Wow. If I could respond to things that I was angry about in the way that Martin Luther did, all would be well. But on the flip side, often we as human beings do with anger not very good things. When we express our anger, we just end up getting ourselves in trouble. Unfortunately, as humans, we're not so good at handling our anger. The definition of righteous anger is the kind of anger that we have toward the sin and evil that is in the world. It's very difficult for us to handle anger righteously because we ourselves are sinful, we're selfish, we don't see things as God see th sees things, we don't understand it as God does. Too often our righteous anger just ends up degenerating into unrighteous anger. And so often we end up being a servant to our anger instead of a master over it. Usually, when you're angry, you're probably thinking you're pretty justified about your anger. You're thinking to yourself, my anger is in response to that person's sin. Therefore, I'm standing on the right side of justice here. But some of the most horrible things that Christians have done in the history of the world have been done in righteous anger. 
This is because it's nearly impossible for a human to have righteous anger and leave it there. Most human anger is sinful and it's destructive. James 1 verse 20 says that the human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. A few years back, I led a missions trip and every evening during this missions trip, we did two things. One was we would produce the lunches that we were gonna eat for the next day, prepare them together. The other was we would have a Bible study and prayer time. Now on this particular evening of the missions trip, I just had a few finishing touches that I wanted to put on the Bible study. And so I asked another team member if he wouldn't mind just managing things, overseeing, making sure that the lunch got all put together in time for our Bible study. I thought that I had given pretty clear directions, but I'm a mother hen, so I decided to check up on the progress of the lunches. I left my bedroom, walked into the kitchen, and when I got to the kitchen, I saw one person standing there. The person that was standing in the kitchen was Grandma Chris. Now this all sounds probably fine to you, except that Grandma Chris was not one of our team members. Grandma Chris was not part of our missions team. Grandma Chris was our wonderful hostess who had opened up her home to us and had done nothing but wonderful, amazing things for us throughout our entire missions trip experience. And now here she was making all of our lunches for us when I had clearly stated that that was our team's responsibility. Now I'm fuming mad. I can feel my face turn red. I can feel the blood boiling inside of me as I leave the kitchen on a mission to find my group. I found them. I found every last one of them. They were dancing, prancing, laughing, doing a conga line, I kid you not, around the perimeter of a swimming pool that was adjacent to the place that we were staying at. The drill sergeant in me exploded. I bellowed at them. March back into the kitchen and get those lunches done. The picture that I saw produced for me the idea that I was pretty righteous in my anger as I'm screaming and yelling, not giving anybody a second to explain themselves. Now, a little while later, fast forward a few moments, I'm still pretty angry. One of the team members must have picked the short straw because she came and approached me. She approached me in a very meek, <laughs> gentle way and said, Thina, um, if you don't mind, I'd, I'd kind of like to explain what happened. Yes, yes, please explain what happened. So here's the story. She said just minutes before I found them out by the pool, every last one of them was busy making the lunches, working together, getting things ready. When all of a sudden Grandma Chris came into the kitchen and she said, you guys, Please take a minute, have a rest, relax a bit, get a little bit of fresh air before your Bible study. You have been working so hard on this missions. Please, this is me wanting to bless you. I will not take no for an answer. So off they trotted to the pool. Oh, now I felt 
absolutely horrible. Realizing that I had just gone on this absolute rage and not even bothered to hear their side of the story. This was not a very good thing. And so now the first order of the agenda for the Bible study was going to be me profusely and sincerely apologizing to my entire team for blowing up at them. <laughs> Once everything had been smoothed out and we were all best buddies again, one of the people on the team said to another, I have never heard Thena use her mum voice before. So, for you mums, have you used the mum voice before? For you who are not mums, have you had the mum voice unleashed on you one or two times? I have to say, generally speaking, when mum pulls out the mum voice, she's pretty justified in doing so. But every once in a while, even a mum can pull out the mum voice and take a level one wrong and treat it as though it was a level 10 wrong. So often when we're angry, we're angry in the wrong way and we respond in the wrong way. I call this anger games. Anger games is when you do something like cut people down with sarcasm or you freeze them out with a silent treatment, or you whine incessantly, or you drive like a maniac, or you bottle it up and you bottle it up and you bottle it up until finally you get this system overload and you just let it all go and it erupts over something very minuscule. Sometimes you're just putting the blame on everybody else but yourself, but so often we don't reply to things that we're angry about in the right manner. Again, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, let's look at it again. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Yes, we will get angry. Paul acknowledges this. That's why he says, in your anger, do not sin. Did you know that this was not the first time that these words were quoted in God's word, in your anger, do not sin? Paul is actually taking an Old Testament quote. These exact words come from Psalm 4, verse 4. Psalm 3 and 4 were written by David in response to something that was going on in his life in which he had every right to express righteous anger. For David, at this point, his kingdom had been unjustly ripped away from him by no one other than his own treasonous son, Absalom. Absalom had lied. He had tricked his way into getting this following of people in order to lead a rebellion against his dad. David was forced to leave his own kingdom, to flee for his life. And you know what Absalom did? Absalom took over the palace and did absolutely wicked things there. Now David, he was angry with his son. His anger, however, was righteous. And his anger was done 
without sin. That is amazing. Through it all, David only reacted to what his son had done in very kind, just, loving, and forgiving ways. In your anger, do not sin. So after, in these verses that we're dissecting today, after that Old Testament quote, we come upon a metaphor, a metaphor. So I feel like it's important for us to just let you know the interpretation of this metaphor, what it's saying. The words are, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. So Paul is not saying that you need to get rid of your anger by sunset every day. Today's Mother's Day, and in Edmonton, the sun sets at 9.21 p.m. So if there's anything that's making me angry right now, I better be sure to have that dealt with by 9.21 tonight. And I'm lucky that it's May, because if it was winter, then I would need to have my anger dealt with by probably around supper time or even earlier because the sun sets earlier in the winter here, right? Or how about if I was visiting Northern Greenland? Did you know that there's times in the calendar year that Greenland reports that they do not see a sunset for three months? That gives me tons of time to deal with my anger. Clearly, that's not what Paul's saying here. We need to recognize the principle here, and we need to understand that instead of taking this metaphor literally, we need to take the principle of the metaphor very seriously. The general principle is that it's a good idea to get rid of your anger as soon as possible, to not nurse your anger, to not hold a grudge. And for lots of situations, it's a super good rule of thumb to try to get rid of that anger by bedtime. And doesn't this make sense? I mean, how many of you have had what could have been a good night's rest absolutely destroyed because you had anger or you had anxiety or you were nursing a different emotion? If we let go of that, if we just allow peace to come upon us, our good night's rest is more likely to happen. So it's very good advice to try to get rid of it before you go to bed. But we have to realize something else. Two things. Number one, sometimes when you're dealing with your anger, it's important to deal with it even quicker than before bedtime. Sometimes it's just something that's, that's very minor and it can be dealt with very quickly. So why wait until the sun goes down? On the other hand, sometimes you're dealing with something that is a little bit more intense. And in those cases, sometimes you might need a few days. You might need even longer than that to fully work through a disagreement. So also, I want you to know that in this metaphor, Paul is not giving us a license to just rage until nightfall. I mean, an incredible amount of danger can be done in a very short time when you let your anger loose. Anger can be like a ticking time bomb and it's prudent to not prolong that anger but to get rid of that anger as quickly as possible. I liken it to a hot potato game, right? You get the anger, you're handling it and you toss it away 
as quickly as you possibly can. So what else is Paul getting at when he says to not let the sun go down on your anger? Yes, he's saying deal with your anger in a timely manner. Check, got that. But he's also saying that what you do with that anger, allow your anger to spur into action, to spur into righteous action. So again, we go back to Candace and Cindy's story. And they were angry, but they used that anger, they harnessed that anger to produce mad, an incredible movement. Do you know the statistics? Since MAD came into being, drunk driving crimes, fatalities caused by drunk driving have been reduced by 50%. Half as many people are being adversely affected by drunk drivers than they were before the movement. That is substantial. That is significant. So the final part of the passage, it tells us that we need to be warned against giving a foothold to the devil. So what does that mean? Well, Paul is using like war terminology here. It's kind of like hand-to-hand -hand combat. So walk with me here. Here's me, here's my enemy, and we're in hand-to-hand -hand combat. Now, I would be giving my enemy a foothold if I allowed him to have a good spot of footing. Because if he has good footing, then he's going to be able to aggressively come at me and possibly win the war. Secondly, if I let him have some of my ground, if I let him take over something that I already own, then again, he can conquer me. He can move in on me. He can defeat me. So giving the enemy a foothold or giving the devil a foothold can mean many things. But one of the things that it can mean is that when you let your anger interfere, with seeing God as who he really is. Okay, confession time. I was very angry with God when my son Keanu was a baby. In my anger, I did exactly what this verse is telling us not to do. I saw God differently than who he really was. I saw God as a liar. And I want to tell you right now that he is not a liar. I was at the end of my rope. I had suffered my entire pregnancy with morning sickness, except my sickness lasted the whole day. And I was on medication to try to help that. I had to take five pills a day. Even with this strong medication, I still, with no exaggeration, was throwing up at least 18 times a day. I could not keep anything down. Now, you know how pregnant women will sometimes have cravings? I did have a daily craving with this first pregnancy of mine. My craving was Slurpees. So, my entire food consisted of my Slurpee a day and then five fresh Timbits that I would have in correspondence to the five pills that I took throughout the day. 
I would get so sick so easily that if the Timbits were even a day old, it would just immediately caused me to throw up. The Timbits had to be fresh, and it seemed to be the only thing I could keep down besides my daily craving of my Slurpee. Certainly, I was not the poster child for healthy eating during that pregnancy, but even my doctor was on board. My doctor said, if it's Coca-Cola that you're living on, I don't care, just get something in your body. I can tell you many, many, many hardships that transpired throughout my pregnancy. But the real hardship occurred after Kiana was born. When Kiana was born, he didn't sleep. He didn't cuddle. What he did do was agonize and scream for three years straight. Now, this was my first shot at motherhood, my first time as a mom. And so I think in my mind, I thought, wow, this is what it's like. This is how it is. And I can remember thinking, how is it that the planet is populated? How do people go about having even more than one child? And how come all of these people with little ones have not gone insane? I can remember scanning the horizon and looking at other moms and thinking to myself, what did they have? How can they handle it? How come they are figuring it all out? And I'm just a big F, a big failure. I cannot figure this out. Again, being a new mom, I didn't know things as far as um, kind of what children were supposed to accomplish at certain times. So a lot of people will tell you that a child will have their first social smile when they're about two or three months old. But I had waited months and months and months and months and months to see a smile from my child. He wasn't smiling. Why? He had nothing to smile about. His skin was like always like scratched up and it just bled from everywhere. And he had a difficult time breathing. Again, in my naivety, I just thought, oh, well, I guess babies, you know, the air quality is maybe not so good. That's why he really has to struggle as he's breathing. It didn't make sense to me. He didn't sleep, as I mentioned. Um, of course, he slept a little. This is how he slept. He would sleep in no more than 20-minute increments. No more than 20-minute increments. And between the time that he was born and the time that he was three years old, there was not one 24-hour period where Keanu slept an accumulation of six hours. Never, for sure, a whole chunk. Usually, it would be 20 minutes here, 20 minutes there, 20, but never would that add up to even six hours. Keanu obviously was worn out. My husband and I were exhausted. The baby swing. Have you used a baby swing? The baby swing became our one and only reprieve. Now for us, we went through not one, not two, but three baby swings. We wore those out because we were trying to find something that would manage our child. Please don't judge me. But when Keanu turned two years old, now I'm 24 months into this, not to mention a very sick pregnancy, I actively started looking to see if there was any kind of maybe boarding school that took two-year-olds. I was unable to handle this. And then 
he turned three. Now we're talking 36 months of this. I was at the end of my rope. I was so worn out that I wasn't seeing clearly who God really was. I can remember taking a bath. During my bath, I was screaming. I was crying, I was bellowing. I had what felt like so many tears come roll down my face that when I looked into the bath water, I honestly wondered what percentage of this water came from the taps and what percentage of this water has come from my eyes. I remember being so angry. I screamed a challenge, a question to God. I said, I thought that you said that children were a blessing, a reward, a gift. This is not a blessing. My soul ached. I was so upset with my lot in life. And I tell you, I was so upset imagining that God was the one allowing for this ongoing despair. I was so discouraged. I honestly just wanted to leave God behind. But instead, I moved toward him with this question. In our anger, we should not move away from God. We should move toward him. We should not turn from God. We should face him. Just like I challenged God that evening in the bathtub, asking him about children being a blessing during a very hard time in my life. The psalmist asks God in Psalm 77 to seven, sorry, Psalm 77, verses seven to nine, six gut-wrenching questions. Some of these questions you yourself might have asked of God too. Will the Lord reject us forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Do you hear the despair? Do you hear the hurt in these six questions? But by asking these questions, the psalmist is turning to God. The irony about questioning God, like I did that evening in the bathtub, like the psalmist is doing here, is that it honors him because it begins the process of us turning our hearts away from ungodly anger and towards a passionate desire to comprehend him. I feel this is an important sentence. Let me repeat it. It honors him because it begins the process of us turning our hearts away from ungodly anger towards a passionate desire to comprehend him, to understand God. Our heart-wrenching screams amid sobs, they express that we are searching for him. 
In God's word, it tells us, when you seek, you will find. When we encounter him, we will never be the same. And when we direct these questions at God, we are opening up an opportunity to encounter him. We are questioning him, we are asking him, and he can speak to us and he can reveal himself to us. When you hash it out with God, instead of giving the enemy a foothold, you learn some things. You learn that he is good. You learn that he is kind. You learn that he is merciful. You learn that God has got the steering wheel of your life. He's holding onto it and he doesn't let go for a second. You learn that God has a reason for any and every experience that you might be going through. And you learn that you can trust him during that experience. He can be trusted. In your anger, move toward God, not away from him. Once again, those verses, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. You know what's better than being motivated by anger? Being motivated by love. You know, love is strong enough. Love is robust enough. Love is able to stand up for the oppressed. Love is able to do whatever work is necessary to fight injustice. You can leave your anger checked at the door. Instead of holding on to that right to be angry and filling your soul with angst, partner with the Holy Spirit and fill yourself up with love, with joy, with peace, with patience, with kindness, with gentleness, with faithfulness, with goodness, with self-control. Today, take your anger, take your hurt to the Lord. Present it to him. Don't move away from him. Don't turn from him. Present it to him. And when you do, he comes to you. He reaches out to you. He embraces you. And he can begin that process that can turn that anger, that can turn that hurt into a new and fresh hope. Happy Mother's Day.